All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. We had actually planned to do a different topic today on making the argument. However, with the recent events in Texas, uh, we feel it's necessary to, to talk about this because obviously this is a horrific tragedy. And the question is, is what do we as a country, as a community, as a society do about something like this, both to not only come alongside the people that are suffering as a result, but also to do everything that we possibly can in order to prevent it from happening in the future. And so we're going to talk as we're going to talk about this issue with the information that we currently have. And to keep in mind, we are filming this on Wednesday. It'll be published tomorrow on a Thursday. Uh, so some information will inevitably come out that we might not have available to us right now. So we just want to make sure that everyone understands that up front. But the purpose today is to have a conversation and to have a discussion with respect to how do we address this issue and also to address some of the responses that have come out within social media, within various political leaders, and to try to find some way where we can find common, common ground to be able to effectively address this. That's what we're going to be discussing today on Making the Argument. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates. My wife, Tina, is here. We have Christian here as well, and then obviously our producer, Nick Hamilton. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into this. Now, to give everyone some background, obviously a lot of things have been going on in the, in the news. Information usually comes out very quickly. Sometimes it adjusts. But what we understand about this at this point was that a 18-year-old man had legally purchased, U.S. citizen, illegally purchased a firearm or a couple of firearms went into an elementary school in rural Texas and proceeded to go on a mass murdering spree. Uh, at this point, I think there's 19 children that have been killed and two teachers. Um, from what we understand, I believe there might have been two officers that were also wounded and the shooter himself was also killed by a BORTAC agent, which is a, a special operations unit within Border Patrol that overheard the gunfire taking place, arrived at the scene, and was able to take down the shooter. So that's what we know at this point. There was also um, apparently run-ins that this um, man had had, and we're not going to mention his name, but run-in this man had had with uh, law enforcement. Uh, he had had some mental health issues, um, some very disturbing things. Apparently he had like cut his face in front of his friend and talked about enjoying it. He had sent some very disturbing pictures shortly before the incident. Um, 
to somebody on Instagram that didn't know him that well, uh, but was trying to figure out what exactly he was doing or planning. Uh, bottom line is there was a, a history of mental health issues, uh, but there was no criminal record. And as a result, there was nothing that would have prevented him from being able to purchase a firearm. So we're going to go over today what the response has been um, from some of our leaders, from some people that are you know, considered you know, thinkers or leaders within the left, uh, President Biden. We're also going to talk about um, some comments from Senator Murphy from uh, Connecticut. And ultimately, we're going to discuss how do, we, how do we address this and what have we done in places like Virginia to address this. So let's go with the, uh, the first tweet. And this comes from uh, Rob Reiner, who, as you guys know, probably know is a Hollywood director. And the reason why I bring this up um, is because it says, the blood of every child that dies of gun violence in this country is on the hands of the Republican Party. Now, I, I know the visceral reaction uh, to something like this, to this, this kind of generalized statement, is you know, anger. Because the, the idea that if you're associated with the Republican Party, you're therefore somehow culpable or responsible for when a child dies as an act of mass murder by someone that shoots up a school. And, and obviously the, way the, the reason why they're saying this is because the Republican Party is um, associated with protecting Second Amendment rights. Now, I want to get beyond what that initial visceral reaction is, which is to basically tell this person, you know, that's inappropriate or that's wrong, or maybe to say something a little bit more forceful and colorful. And I, and I, want, to, I want to try to identify the logic that's being used here. Because the assumption, as I already stated, is if you're a Republican, this is the assumption he's making, this is the logic he's using. If you're a Republican, then you most likely, you affiliate yourself with a party that supports the Second Amendment and has largely been in opposition to a lot of the um, so-called gun control laws that have been recommended either at a national level or a state level. And so therefore, if somebody uses a firearm to do something bad, uh, in this case, commit an act of murder, then the blood is on your hands. Now, if you're going to use this logic and you're going to carry it out to its logical conclusion, then you have to also conclude that anytime somebody uses um, an object in order to commit a criminal act or a violent act, anybody who doesn't in some way, shape, or form immediately support the banning, restriction, criminalizing of that use of that particular object or the ownership of that particular object has blood on their hands or is somehow culpable or responsible. And Again, carrying that out to its logical conclusion, what you're essentially saying is, is that you want, this, you want to live in the sort of society that not only regulates but potentially criminalizes or punishes you for owning something which can be used to commit a criminal act. And I don't think anybody really believes that. I don't think anybody really wants to live in a society that would, would implement such a policy. But it becomes very, very easy to say in the midst of a tragedy. And this is the sort of visceral reaction that gets us to a point where it becomes almost impossible to talk to one another about when something like this happens. Because if this is really what you want, if this is the sort of logic that we're going to use, well, coming from my perspective, do I get to come in and do I get to look at people that 
oppose additional school resource officers at schools and say that, well, anytime something like this happens, when there isn't a school resource officer or when you voted against the additional funding for those school resource officers or those school security measures, then there's blood on your hands. Do I get to say that? Well, if I'm using this logic, I do. Now, I don't say those things, even if I disagree with someone, even if I think they have bad policy. I think when somebody commits a violent act, it is on the person that committed the violent act. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a, a good conversation about how we prevent it from happening. But if this is the sort of logic that you want to use, I, I've got news for Mr. Reiner. I have sat there in committee meeting after committee meeting after committee meeting. Because in Virginia, I sit on the Education Committee. I also sit on the Public Safety Committee. I also sit on the Courts of Justice Committee. And I have watched as colleagues of mine have universally voted against legislation to increase the number of school resource officers. And the reason why was because they thought it was going to lead to more interactions between law enforcement and students, which would increase the school-to-prison pipeline. And even when we added caveats to the legislation where we said, okay, the school resource officer will not be responsible for any disciplinary action within the school. They are just there for safety reasons. They still voted against it. Now, if you want to talk about direct causation correlation, if you get to say that because I don't think your gun control policies achieve the ends that you want, or if I say I think the gun control policies that you're going for are actually going to have adverse effects that will lead to more criminal activity in certain areas, and so therefore I don't think this is the right course of action. If you can say that there's blood on my hands anytime someone uses a gun, to hurt somebody, do I get to point to situations where we have tried to make our schools more safe? The whole point of the legislation, it wasn't some broad sweeping thing that we were trying to go after. It was very specific toward we see a problem happening in our schools. We're going to add additional law enforcement resources. If you say no or if you say, no, that's not the solution or I don't want that, Using your logic, I get to come back and say that there's blood on your hands if that's the way that you want this conversation to go forward. If, on the other hand, you actually want to identify common ground where we can work together to protect our kids, you probably don't want to lead with this because that is inevitably going to lead us down a path where this ends up becoming a blame game between political parties and politicians who desperately want to get elected as opposed to solving problems. Here's another one that I, I just find really interesting, and Tina was talking about this earlier. There, there's Steve Hofstetler, who's um, he's, he's pretty prominent in some like left-wing comedian circles and whatnot, but he says, the GOP is forcing women to carry fetuses to term just so they have new targets to shoot. As a comedian, I do not understand how he could have thought that was funny at all. This is what I like to call a certified Twitter take. Yeah. This is tweets like this and Rob Reiner's is why people hate social media. Yeah. Because I'm sorry, how are you supposed to have a conversation with somebody that thinks I mean, I own an AR fifteen. It's um it's at my house. Um, I also own a pistol and I own I think a thousand rounds between the two of them. Uh, neither of those weapons have ever been used to hurt another human being. And they never will, by the way, unless, mm. unless I need to use them to defend myself. But to then be called, you know, 
evil, despicable, I want kids to die, blood's on my hands because I own firearms or because I identify as a member of the Republican Party and I think the Second Amendment should be treated as a constitutionally protected right as it is, um, you, you can't have a negotiation. You can't have a conversation with people like that at all because you've got one side that approaches the conversation with a perspective of these are terrible things. What can we do to to stop them? And then you have another side that says you're an evil, terrible person because you don't agree with our position and our position is ban guns. And, and, and that, that's not everybody on the left, the, the, the left, you know, I just want to be clear. There's people that vote for Democrats. There's people that, you know, identify as on the left that they don't actually, you know, they don't want to ban guns, but there's a lot of people in prominent positions of power and authority on the left that do. I, I remember Dianne Feinstein once said about the assault weapons ban from the nineties. Um, she gave, she gave an interview and she said, I would have banned like permanently banned you know, these types of firearms, if I had the votes, she didn't have the votes though. So she got all that she could. What I'm trying to say is, is don't be surprised that we cannot have a, to echo a speech that you gave a few years ago after the Parkland shooting, the speech that went viral multiple times over around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, I would argue many of the people who are listening to this podcast or watching this podcast today might have first heard of you because of that speech. Um, to reiterate what you said in that speech, we cannot have a discussion or a conversation. If you want to have an open and honest debate, let's do that. But it starts with a certain degree of mutual respect. If you want to go out there and say, we only support this stuff because the NRA bought us off, then, you know, what? okay, by your own logic, let's have that discussion when it comes to abortion or Planned Parenthood. We're not going to have that discussion, though, because I don't go out there and say you believe in X, Y, and Z because you're evil, terrible, despicable people that got bought off by whoever it is. They're the ones that go to us and say we're evil, terrible, despicable people because we're either in the pocket for the gun lobby. I think that's something that we're going to talk about in a minute. Well, that and, and I, I will never understand, and th this, is, this is one of these issues where you know, forcing women to carry fetuses to term just so they have new targets to shoot. We, we oppose we oppose the innocent being destroyed. We oppose it in the womb. We oppose it outside of the womb. We're very consistent about this. There, there's no inconsistency. I do not understand how someone can get up there and think that they're standing on high ground by saying, oh, no, no, we're fine with innocent life being destroyed in the womb. But once it's born, if you don't implement our policies, then clearly you don't care as much as we do. I don't, I don't understand that logic. It doesn't follow. So the problem, it's not a problem. I mean, it, it is, but it's, it's just a fact. It's, it's, the fact is that we're talking about a topic that is inherently emotional. That's not a bad thing. I mean, it, it makes sense that people get emotional on all sides when little children are being gunned down in a school. I mean, it, it, there's very few things in this world that could probably rival something like that in terms of sheer evil. Mm -hmm. um, especially little children. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it, it is, I mean, and part of me thinks that, that increasingly we're getting, it used to be that we didn't have school shootings. And then it was, we started having school shootings in colleges and high schools. And now they're happening in elementary schools. And it really started with Sandy Hook 
10 years ago or almost 10 years ago. And, and there's a lot of similarities between, and, 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 uh, you know, to, to what you said, we're speaking very early here. We don't know the whole story yet. There's a lot that could potentially come out in the next few weeks or months that we don't know yet. But, but from what we're seeing right now, there seems to be a lot of similarities between this and what happened at Sandy Hook in 2012. And, there is it's it's interesting that we're seeing more and more of this and i think that's a question that a lot of people across the whole political spectrum regardless of where you you lay i i think they don't understand i don't understand why this is happening seemingly more often and maybe it's not happening more often maybe maybe the data you know because social media amplifies things you know it, it you you have your own personal bias from the fact that I can only see what I can see and I don't have a broader picture. I don't know what's going on in the entire country all the time. I'm not omnipotent, right? So maybe it's not happening more often, but it feels like it is happening more often and it feels like that it's getting worse over time. I feel like there's more of these type of instances, not just in schools too, but in general, and not just with guns. Attacks of these sort in general than there were 40, 50, oh, it, 60 it, it, years it ago. Feels, it feels like our schools have become, it feels like our schools have become less and less safe. Um, and specifically, our public schools have become less and less safe. And to be honest, it, it feels like the country is becoming less and yeah. less safe. Yeah, but but it's it's one of those things where, you know, all of us understand that when when two adults get in a fight and one of them gets killed, that's a tragedy. But all of us have a, a very important, necessary, and understandable visceral reaction to somebody. You know, we're not talking about two adults that, you know, got in an altercation. We're talking about somebody making a conscious decision. Shooting defenseless little children. To, to, to kill innocent little children. Like, this is something that is just so unbelievably horrific um, and, and has become certainly more commonplace. I mean... I don't even, it, it's become more commonplace in, in society. Anytime it happens, obviously, if it's just one time, it's unacceptable. But when you start to see what seems to be a pattern over time, and obviously the school shooting is probably one of the most, um, again, the, the most horrific of the examples of violence that we're increasingly seeing. It right? is among the worst of the worst. Yes, but but we're also seeing like you know the, the situations that we've had with respect to sexual assault or or beatings or things like that where you're looking at it going, what is going on? Let, let's look at let's look at one more of these that you know is, is kind of inflammatory and then we're going to get into some discussions that again, Senator um, what is it Senator Murphy? Um, Senator Murphy made, and then President Joe Biden. So um, this guy, Nick Hanauer, they were talking about, you know, it's always the discussion about thoughts and prayers. And Nick Hanauer, who's a, um, an, an economist and, and runs a podcast, said, let me pray too. Dear God, please reach down in all your mightiness and give all these Republican politicians terminal cancer. Let them die excruciatingly painful deaths and then chuck them into hell for all eternity. Amen. Um. Again, you you look at things like this, and honestly, we, we've had this discussion before on what does it mean to really care about something? Because obviously, when you say something like this, the what, what you're trying to what you're trying to convey to people is that you 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 are so um, the reaction that you have to this is is so 
powerful and emotional within you that you just feel the necessity to quote, tell it like it is right. That's, that's the way stuff like this is usually projected. And you can tell by all the comments, people are coming in and encouraging them and saying, this is great. Yeah. You know, Hey, it needed to be said, et cetera. Um, we've, we've discussed before that when you, when you have a visceral reaction to something, there's two ways that you can essentially address it. One is to do something like this, where you get out there and you say something that you think is powerful and impactful, but really what it is is it's about making you feel better about how righteously superior you are to everybody else, and specifically to everyone that doesn't agree with your particular approach. Because I'm, I'm willing to bet this, this person did not sit there and, and look at all the specifics of what happened, how it happened, um, and, and have as you know, looked at the, the data, the information, uh, in order to come to a logical conclusion and a rational conclusion about how you would actually prevent something like this from taking place. No, what this guy did was say something that, you know, I don't know, potentially would get him a lot of likes on Twitter, and it did. Now, if you really care about an issue, you go beyond the visual reaction that you have to something, and you truly analyze it, because that's what you do when you actually want to arrive at a solution that will work instead of something that will just cure your feelings at the time, to cure your angst at the time. And that's when you get into the difficult position of truly trying to understand why something happens and how you go about effectively preventing it. And, and what's fascinating is that the more you do that, the less likely, uh, I won't say the less likely, a lot of times you'll be surprised at how your view on something changes over time the more you learn about it. Let's go into what... Uh, Can I just point one thing yeah. out real quick? Um, it is okay to be emotional about these things and to have anger. I think everybody's angry. Um, and it's where you're placing it and it's what you're doing with the anger. I'd be concerned if you weren't emotional. Yeah. Right. But the problem here is he's displaying the same type of anger that this shooter carried out. And I don't believe that people who say things like this have any moral ground to stand on uh, to opine on, on the hor horrific acts of another person because they're just carrying out to the logical conclusion what this person's suggesting. So, and and it's just it's just where they're directing it. And I just want to point out, it's okay to get emotional about these things, but invitate emotion is an invitation to thought. And if your first thought is to figure out how do I cope with this, and your best coping mechanism is to to lash out and to uh, suggest horrific things. Um, that, that's not helpful. It doesn't, it doesn't help us get to a solution on this. And I just think that people need to, people need to engage in the thought that comes after the emotion. You can't stay in the emotion. You have to think about what to do next and what got us here. And I, I just think there's so much more at play here. Um, what, you know, there's something like 75% of school shooters come from broken homes. And we also have an ideology that is telling people they're worthless, that they are an accident of nature and that you don't actually have any intrinsic value. Well, those type of things, 
making somebody believe that to their core and teaching them that, it has ramifications. It has negative effects. And if you're telling them that it doesn't, that, that they don't mean anything and they don't have any value, then it also means that no one else has any value. And if you're telling them that there is no um, objective truth and there is no moral lawgiver, well, then it's just whatever they feel like it should be and whatever makes them feel good. And that is the problem with having something that is not a fixed mark. It's, it's, you're not giving them any standard to live by. You're not giving them anything greater than themselves and their own whims and how they feel. And so I just, I feel like there is so much at play here um, and, and we can't discuss all of it, but the idea that we're going, I mean, we have something like 395 million guns in this country that are legally owned by citizens. And the fact that, I mean, if, if, it, if guns were the problem, then, you know, it, the guns don't decide to do this. The people decide to do this type of a thing. Well, I think, and I, so you you have to address why that is and dig deep. And we are in a position nowadays where people are being gaslit into not even believing their own eyes. I, I think these things have consequences. I think, yeah, I think to that point, one one of the things that centers we talk a lot about postmodernism. We talk a lot about deconstructionism on there because these philosophies have been have been critical in in the way that the left views reality. Um, and and I think one of the one of the interesting, if you, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and it's this pyramid, and at the bottom it's it's things like, you know, you need food, you need shelter, you need these basic things, and then you go up a little bit, you know, higher, and it, it moves into like procreation and things of that nature. Well, at the top of that pyramid is self-actualization. And what I've always found problematic about Maslow's hierarchy of needs is that on some superficial level, it, it addresses things that we all know. Like, okay, before before I get to... You know, but before I want to be entertained, right? I, I want to I want to be able to have feed food, and right? feed and myself. clothe myself. Yeah. Like I need these things, and so that's why I think people look at that and think, oh, okay, well that that makes sense. But when you put self self actualization at, at the highest need, right, the highest level of need, the the this idea that this is your truest self and realizing that is the goal. If you're learning that within a society or a culture or a worldview, which tells you that there is no objective morality, there is no objective truth, there is no moral law giver, um, that can lead people to some pretty dark conclusions. And I think a lot of people end up being surprised that they were teaching. They were teaching a kind. They were attempting to teach a kind of moral nihilism, which is, yeah, there, there is, there is no God. There is no objective truth. There is no objective reality. But of course, we believe in tolerance and and equity and and you know not hurting other people. The problem is, is those things don't logically follow with one another. And some people come to the conclusion that well, if there is no ultimate meaning, there is no ultimate purpose other than me experiencing self actualization. And, and in fact, me being prevented from experienced self-actualization is a violation of my very identity. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to come to very, very dark conclusions. And they're going to find ways to realize that 
regardless of what society attempts to do, if they've actually if they've actually grasped that philosophy and that worldview. And if, if we're not willing to address that, well then I'm sorry, I don't think we're actually serious. And, and to Tina's point, if, if your response if your response to something like this, a horrific act, is to say, gosh, I sure hope that everyone that disagrees with me about gun control gets terminal cancer and gets cast into hell for all of eternity. I mean, that other person was was again, that the other person is the that same. other person the was heart acting behind out. that is the same. That level of hatred that you're harboring in your heart. It's it's just a different direction. That guy, but it's that the other, same type of thing. The shooter actualized it. Yes. So I I, I do have to say though, have you? Uh, I mean, I don't even need to ask the question because everybody that I know has done this before. When you get into a fight with somebody, yeah, and it's it and it's like another level. It's it's not debating. It's, you say it's things even, you don't. You mean. say things you don't mean. Yeah. It is ten times easier. To say things you don't mean about an abstract group, uh, an obscure group of people that doesn't have a face that you can put to it or a name that you can put to it. Here's an example. I know some Democrats that knew you when you ran for Congress in 2020 or when you ran for re-election last year. Mm-hmm. And many of those people who didn't vote for you, they didn't vote for you because of political differences, but they didn't think you were a terrible person because yeah. they knew you. You know, they... they 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 cast their ballot simply, you know, the way that it correlated with their, you know, yeah. values and principles, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, many of those people didn't go out there and, and say terrible things about you. They just voted in accordance with what they, they believed. That was way different, you know, here in Culpeper. And I mean the ones that actually know you. I don't mean just yeah, ones yeah, that yeah. live close to us. That was way different than what I saw from some people online who were also Democrats, who said things about you that clearly they had never met you. They had never talked to you. Yeah, they had never sat down with you. They had never had a conversation. They had never seen anything other than your name and the little R next to it, basically. And some of these Facebook comments that I would read during the campaign in 2020 or afterwards are... I I I feel sick reading some of them. Oh yeah, oh, and they've when, when, they've said that uh, that Nick belongs in an internment camp. Him and his family. Yeah. I have a screenshot of that and, one. And here's a here's a good example in reverse. So every now and then I'll grab a, a beer, not really a beer, a cider with with Ben Hickson over yeah. at Fargon yeah. and Culpepper. Yeah. And over the past, I guess what four or five years since he ran against you. Um, I've gotten to know him. A, I, I wouldn't say that like I know him really well, but mm-hmm. I've met him certainly more than the average Republican in Culpeper has. Mm-hmm. And so then I I go back and you know occasionally through like you know memory stuff on Facebook and stuff like that, I'll see conversations or comments from people from that election on our side, mm-hmm. talking about our Democrat opponent that year, yeah, saying things about him, yeah, that I know aren't true because yeah. I've met him, yeah, and I've talked to him, I. I I didn't vote for Ben. I voted for you, right? Yeah. Like, like, but I because I've met him and I've gotten to sit down and talk to him, and and I now have placed a face to this person, right? Yeah. A, a name to this person. I can't dehumanize him because I've chatted with him over beer, right? Yeah. I I know that he's a human being and that he shares emotions and feelings and yeah and and hopes and stuff like that. And so I can't otherize him. Yeah, but. 
It is so easy, especially in politics, to otherize people, especially if you're otherizing a group rather than an individual. It's really easy to otherize an individual. The right and left both do this to each other. I mean, look at what everybody said about Trump or look at what Republicans say about Biden. It's so easy to otherize people that you don't personally know. But it's even way easier to otherize an abstract group, the Republican Party, the GOP, the conservatives, the right. And so some of these comments that I see from people about wishing cancer on people or bloods on your hand or I hope you get shot next or you yeah. just want to murder babies or whatever it is, it is the reason that people are saying that, I think, and hey, maybe some people do mean it. Yeah. I mean, some people do terrible yeah. things, right? Yeah. Not yeah, we've that. actually had but, people say, I hope your own kids don't have to die for you yeah. to. But- what I'm saying is, is that a lot of these comments that we're reading are coming from a position that is all too natural for, I think, human beings in general. And I, I don't necessarily think that every single one of these people actually mean it. No, that's no. not to excuse what they're saying. Yeah. And that's not that, that, that that's not to say that it was fine for them to tweet stuff like this. Yeah. But it is a visceral, emotional reaction to something that carries disgust and even if you have a very flawed worldview like i think a lot of these people do especially if they adhere to postmodernism, i understand where they're coming from and i understand why they're reacting the way that they are because yeah. i've seen it happen everywhere in politics and, and everywhere outside of politics too well and, and I, i've had conversations with colleagues of mine where it's it's the same thing and, and they'll and again once we have an opportunity like I, I had i had one colleague sit down and ask me about something and, and they're like how could you think that or say that i said oh this is why. And, and and you almost see it where it's like, oh, I didn't, that never occurred to me. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's not based off of some sort of like evil intention. It's, it's just cause this is my perspective based off of my experience, but let, let's get in, let's get into Nick. I got one question before we move on to yeah. this, you know, Biden's comments. How should we respond to a friend or family member that, you know, seems to think that the blood is on our hands? Well, so here, here's the tough part. When you're talking to somebody that, again, like Christian said, this usually doesn't happen with people that know each other really well, right? This is usually like, so. this is why social media can be so toxic at times because it's so easy to throw out these statements against abstract people or groups. But if you're talking to someone where they're, they're serious and they are, um, and, and they want to know, one of the best things that you can do is you, in order to kind of calm the conversation, is, and, and Tina said it earlier, right? Emotion is an invitation to thought. So when you can keep the focus on, look, this was horrific. I absolutely agree with you that it was horrific. And, and I don't want it to ever happen again. I don't want it to happen to this. I don't want it to ever happen again. How do, we, how do we address that? Then all of a sudden what you've done is you've, you've taken the conversation out of the realm of, we're going to we're going to go back and forth on who we think is to blame over this with respect to political ideology or policies and we're going to focus on okay what was the problem and how do we address it now if someone really wants to insist on it if someone really is is just adamant about it you've either got to come to the conclusion this might not be someone that is ready to have a conversation at that point right i get i get, i see people that once you start feeling yourself completely losing your own cool and sense of composure Sometimes it's better to just walk away because that person isn't ready to have a conversation. You might not be either. You but think, yeah. but one of the things that um, one of the things that I really try to emphasize on this is again going back to the okay. You're you're saying that I have blood on my hands. Can you explain to me why that is? I want to understand why you believe that. 
I, I genuinely want to understand why it is that you believe that. And then make them explain it. Because usually what ends up happening in their own explanation, sometimes they start to realize the problem with their own reasoning or how they said something. Um, if they don't, that's when you start providing examples. Like, okay, so from what I understand, what you're saying is, is that you think this policy would have helped. Um, I don't think this policy would have helped. But because you're committed to that idea that it would have, and I opposed it, that's why you think I have blood right. on my hands. And, and that's the part where they start to, again, if they're, if they're intellectually honest at all, they'll start to realize that, okay, that could have been a really, really problematic statement because you start, your mind automatically starts to think, okay, what are all the different situations this person can come back and say, okay, well, then does this mean that this is blood on your hands? Does this mean this is blood on your hands? Does this, I mean, and, and it, at what point is, is there no productive productivity in the conversation at all? And so, and that, that individual may not think, you know, realistically that you have blood on your hands for not wanting to do anything about it. But I think that is if they have in their mind that this individual is unwilling to address the issue, yeah. then having blood on your hands, quote unquote, is the you know extent of that. That's where the thought leads. So I, I think asking the question in that way is incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. So let, let's go ahead and we're going to address two things. We got Biden and then we got Senator Murphy because this kind of gets down into the the idea of you know whenever Republicans are whenever we're told conservatives are told pro Second Amendment people are told Republicans are told you know you guys don't want to address this issue you don't care about this issue there, there's actually some really good responses to that uh, because that is patently false but we have to get into this mindset right here so Joe Biden was asked about this and he says as a nation we have to ask when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby. Well, the, the obvious implication there is that the only reason that, that you could be pro-Second Amendment is because of the gun lobby. And that's obviously patently absurd. If that's true, again, this is the part where, like, if that's true, then I can point to every issue I disagree with a Democrat on and say, oh, it's because of the abortion lobby or, or the it's union because of the, lobby, uh, the union or... lobby or the teachers' union lobby or whatever else it is, right? Or the trial, lawyer, trial lawyers' lobby. Right. If, if, if you want to break everything down into that, then okay, then this is how this conversation goes. And again, it's completely unproductive. But he said this, and I thought this was interesting. He said, when in God's name will we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? We don't all know. And that is one of the biggest problems that we have with these discussions. So, Nick, it, I, I want to ask you a, a question about that that's been bugging me, actually. And I think this is an instance where it kind of comes to light in a very prominent way. There's so many times, it's not just on, on gun-related stuff or school safety, you, you can name the political issue. There's so many times where I, I see people say, why is it just so hard to just get together and do what needs to be done? Yeah. Like, it's so simple. We, you, you know, it's... It, 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 I, there's so many times where, where it, it, it's part of the somebody must do something mentality. Yes. Yeah. And it's just, I just don't understand why we can't just get this thing done. It's so easy. Like I, I hear this from people that are sometimes apolitical. They're usually center left, but it, it's this idea that, that well, po politics actually has simple, easy answers. Why can't we just do the right thing? Yeah. Why can't we just, just get together and do the right thing? Oh, and, and you hear on the right as well. I'll hear all the time. Why don't people just do what we, the people you know, want done. It's like, because we don't agree. Yeah. The, why don't the politicians listen yeah. to we, the people, yeah, why, why don't, don't they, they just do what needs to be done? Cause the, we, the people that elected me and the, we, the people that elected some of my colleagues have very different ideas of what should be done. Right. And, yes. and, but, I but think, this I think becomes, he's, he's right that we all know in our gut that this can't continue. 
we have to do something. But that's we don't agree that's on where what... the similarities end because yeah. we believe in one set of solutions that we believe are going to be much more effective, mm-hmm. and they believe in a different solution that is literally the one thing that that they always are harping on. It's 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 their well, and, one big issue. And I think that um and everything comes back to it. Well, and it's and it's very problematic because again, it it, it feeds into this idea that um we all know in our gut what should be done, and apparently what should be done is what Joe Biden thinks should be done. And if you don't and if you don't agree with that, well then what you're doing is you're actually rebelling against what you deep down know should be done. It's this whole idea of like you all know we're right. And so therefore, if you oppose us, you're not just opposing our particular approach, or it's not that you find problems with the way we want to address this problem. It's because for some malicious uh, reason or some reason based off of ignorance or greed or selfishness, you just don't want to do the right thing. And and to him, the right thing is to... Oh, he, he, did, he keep, did... Hold on. To him, the right thing is to keep these things absolute gun-free zones... And to have no resource officers there on site, don't arm any 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 uh, teachers, you know, don't don't submit to any kind of school choice whatsoever. Don't deal with bullying. Don't don't prosecute uh, crimes that are committed. Just sweep it under the rug. Uh, my problem with this is that there are a whole host of solutions to this and they refuse to hear any of them and the one they want is one that is not a solution at all because because well the problem i have is that it's it's the one that they've always wanted and and it's and it's a and it's an approach um it's an approach that they feel is justified on its face and then when something like this happens they look at it as well. This is evidence for the, what we already wanted in the first place. But it's completely it, it is, uncomprehensive. Well, it, it is not. It, and again, I think this is the problem. Like for, now, this doesn't apply to everybody, but for a lot of people, they are completely uncomfortable with the idea of private citizens being able to own firearms of any kind. Like maybe they're fine with a shotgun or a relic or something like that, but they are completely uncomfortable with the idea that private citizens would have access to firearms simply because firearms can do a lot of damage. I'm old right. enough to remember, though, that they also were advocating for disarming our police. They want them yeah. to be like Mounties. And well, it, let, let's let, let's stay on this particular point because I think this this is this is something we have to address. If, if you've already convinced yourself that society should not be this way, then whenever that particular object or that particular tool is used in an inappropriate way, it there becomes evidence for the presupposition you already had. Right. And that's not necessarily, you know, intellectually dishonest. But the problem that I have is, again, when they say pass common sense gun laws. okay, And we've asked this question several times because they always lead in with nobody wants to take your guns. Okay, then what do you want to do? Well, we want more background checks. We want more universal gun round checks. We want more. Okay. You have a lot of these things already, right? To, to, to buy a firearm, you typically have to go through two background checks, a federal one and a state one. Mm-hmm. Um, in some states, they have longer waiting periods. In some states, it's, it's very difficult to get it at all, or they have some form of registration. And, and yet, you, you, you actually see more acts of gun violence in those areas. 
And so a lot of us come back and we look at this and we're like, okay, I understand what you're trying to get at. And in the areas where you've implemented those policies, you haven't actually achieved the results that you wanted. And a lot of times they'll come back and they'll say, well, that's because they can cross the border over into Indiana or they can cross the border over into Nevada or whatever else, and they don't have to do those. Okay, great. So is the situation even worse in Indiana? No, it isn't. Okay, so then why is it, why is it illogical for us to say, if you've, if you've been able to implement all the things that you're claiming would have stopped this, if you've been able to implement those things, why does that violence keep happening in the places where you've implemented those policies? Like that is not it's in, producing those people well, is it's, what's happening. It's not an irrational, it's not an irrational thing for us to bring up if you're serious about stopping what it is that we all say we're trying to stop. But if you're if you're if your goal was a policy objective, and that policy objective was you're just someone that doesn't believe that private citizens should own firearms. Well then of course, when something like this happens, you're going to offer this as a reason on why you want what you want, even if it doesn't achieve the results that you claim to want. Because the result you actually want is disarming the population. And this just becomes a mechanism for it. It just becomes another argument for a policy you already wanted. It's not the impetus for the policy. It's a, it's a further justification for what you already wanted. And this goes back to, you know, again, Senator Murphy gets up there and, and he said, he, he, he made this Thing where he's like, I'm going to get down on my hands and knees and beg you, beg you to do the right thing to address this. Okay. Now we're getting to the part where I, I would hope there's some sort of common ground. He says, <clears throat> what are we doing? There have been more mass shootings than days in this, in the year. Our kids are living in fear every single time they set foot in a classroom because they think they're going to be next. What are we doing? And he went on to say that nowhere else do little kids go to school thinking that they might be shot that day. Now, part of this is just untrue. But the other part is when he says, what are we doing? I have a hard time taking him seriously. Because what he really means is, why aren't we doing what he wants to do? And the response a lot of us give is because, well, we don't think it's going to achieve the results that you want. And there's other problems to the solution that you're offering. And when they ask us, well, what other possible problems could there be? Is it, is it because you as a gun owner are going to have to wait an extra couple days to get a gun? Is it because you as a gun owner are not going to be able to own something that you want to, but you don't really need? Is that the only problems? And when we respond with, well, actually, no, that's, that's not it at all. The problem is that when we look at the hard history not just of the world, but the United States, and a lot of our colleagues on the other side of the aisle are always telling us we got to look at the hard history. We see a lot of times in history where governments have attempted to disarm their populations, either at the national level, or maybe at the local level, or maybe at the state level, where they've then targeted that disarmed population for discrimination and acts of violence. And yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the Jim Crow South, it wasn't that long ago in U.S. history where they passed a lot of very arbitrary localized gun laws, and the whole purpose of it was to ensure the black Americans who were fighting for their civil rights were not able to stand up against a well-armed Ku Klux Klan, where a lot of times members of their local law enforcement were members of the Klan. So then how do you respond? Let me just finish this thought. Okay. 
And the idea was is that this was a mechanism that they were using to be able to protect themselves. And, and the push for the gun control had incredibly negative consequences for people that were trying to protect themselves that couldn't rely on the government or law enforcement or anyone else to come in and protect them or their rights or their property or their person or their families. So, so this idea, like we can't point to any negative consequence of what they're suggesting is patently absurd on its face. And we're not talking about a hundred years ago. We're talking about in the sixties and seventies. And so I think it's ridiculous for, for us to be put in a position where when we can actually point to periods in our own history where we've seen the very government that was supposed to protect people, that passed, this, that passed gun control legislation under the auspices of protecting people, was then using that as a way to oppress and hurt people, sometimes even kill them. It is not unfair for us to bring this up. But we're treated like it is. We're oh, that's ridiculous. Really? So let me get this straight. The same people that tell me that I should completely depend on the politicians they want to elect in order to protect me and my family are also the ones that I think, that think I should burn in hell for all eternity. I'm not supposed to take that into consideration? I'm not supposed to look at our own history and watch how governments all over the globe at various times have hurt their own people? I'm just supposed to trust that, no, oh, could it possibly happen now? Now, I'm not suggesting that the local sheriff here or anybody else wants to hurt me, but I'm also not willing to forget that this has happened in the past. Now, if you want to talk about how do we address this issue, how do we address school shootings, and how do we do it in such a way that doesn't negate the history that we already know about how gun control has been used to pervert justice. Well, in Virginia at least, and, and on committees I've sat on, and on legislation we've carried, we've passed funding for additional school resource officers. I've had legislation to make it easier for people, for, to make it easier for localities to be able to hire and train school resource officers. Delegate Tim Anderson had a bill this last session that said, look, the part of the restrictions that we have right now on school resource officers is the number of people that qualify to even go through the training is so restrictive that it means that certain jurisdictions within local areas have a hard time staffing these people. I would like to open it up to military veterans. Now, that doesn't mean if you're a veteran, you can just go in and be an armed school resource officer. You have to get additional training. And every single Democrat on the Education Committee in the Virginia House of Delegates voted against it. Now, why did they vote against it? Well, they thought it, would, they thought it would create more interactions between law enforcement and students, which would contribute, in their words, to the school-to-prison pipeline. So the delegate said, not a problem. I will amend my bill to make it very, very specific that these school resource officers are not permitted to engage in disciplinary action. Their job is just for the protection and safety of, of the student body. Still voted against it. Now, I, I've got a question. Again, if we want to use the sort of logic that is getting thrown around right now. If we are trying to push for more security personnel in our schools, if we're trying to push for more training for those security personnel in our schools, 
If we're trying to make sure that when violent acts happen among students that could potentially go on to do something like this, and that there is a record of that, and one of our colleagues is sitting there opposing all of it, do I get to come to the conclusion that they just don't want to address this issue? That they just don't care? That there's blood on their hands? Do I get to come to that conclusion? I would, I would think it would be reasonable if we're using their logic. But you know what's fascinating? I don't do that. When they sit there and say, you know what, we're concerned about a student-to-prison pipeline. Okay, I, I have some concerns with respect to how you're going about that, but I understand why you would be concerned about a student getting a criminal record early on in life and having it affect the rest of their lives. I understand the concern there. Is there a way that we can work around that where we can differentiate between a student doing something that's just stupid versus a student either doing something or, dis- or, or demonstrating behavior that is heavily disturbed and could lead to potential you know, horrific acts in the future? Can we distinguish between these two things? Very difficult to do. Okay, I understand why you don't like the idea that we're living in a society where we have to have armed security at our schools. I completely understand how we all wish that that wasn't the reality, but it is. And if your solution is to say, well, the way that we protect our students is that we make it more difficult for everyone to get a firearm in the hopes that it will deter somebody that plans to use a firearm for an evil act. That's your, that is your best solution. Your best solution is that hopefully if we make it harder for everyone to do this, it will deter the someone that really wants to use a firearm for an evil act. But if I say, well, why don't, why don't we put additional security in schools? I don't want to solve the problem. You do? How does that make sense? And, and that's where if, if everybody on Twitter right now is, is honestly wants to understand where so many of us are coming from on this, it's because we look at your proposed solutions and they seem preposterous to us. We feel as if you are completely unwilling to recognize any of the dangers in what you are doing and instead want to focus on what your hopes are for your legislation. Because guess what? More gun control laws does not does not prevent any of this from happening. You hope it does. But that's not what it actually does. It just makes it harder for everyone to be able to have access to a firearm to include the woman that's a victim of domestic violence, to include the person that lives in a dangerous neighborhood and wants to protect themselves, to include, back in the Jim Crow era, black Americans that wanted to protect themselves from the Klan. You will do that because everyone that is concerned about breaking the law will absolutely follow it. And you hope that the people that are hell-bent on murdering innocent children you hope that it will also deter them. But when we say, put the armed security, which, oh, by the way, you call every time something like this happens, mm-hmm. you don't get to tell me that, well, the solution is not more guns in our schools. Really? What do you do when somebody does something like this? Regardless of how you feel about the Second Amendment, regardless of how you feel about guns, the first thing everyone does when something like this happens is call up the police and say, get here as fast as you can with armed security. If I was going to look at it the same way that they looked at it and and give a response the same way they give a response, I would say, well, by that logic, you just want more lag time. Yeah. You just want more lag time. You're not against the good guy with the gun coming and saving you. 
You just want more lag time. And I, and I, and I, again, I don't assume this about them. I don't assume this like evil intention about them. I simply assume that we have a very different way of going about doing this, but I, it makes no sense to us to be told you don't want to do anything about this. You don't want to, we, we're, we are literally allocating, you know, significant portions of our budget mm -hmm. to identify, recruit, train school resource officers to increase our reporting requirements when somebody's doing something like truly bad and we get opposition from the left and, and, but then you get to come back and say, I don't care. Look, I, I don't expect for us to agree on everything. I really don't. But if, if anybody is on the left is, is watching this, you know, potentially to write an article about what delegate Freitas, you know, the subcommittee chairman of public safety one said, please at least get this part right. The idea that nobody wants to really deal with this question is absolutely absurd. Especially when you're talking to people, not just legislators, but people who have at some point in their life dedicated themselves to going into dangerous situations in order to stand in between the innocent and those who would harm them, to then come back and suggest they don't want to do anything about it because they don't necessarily think your solution is the best one, is insulting. And to use the victims of such violence as the mechanism for which you push that out as if you care more? There are a number of things we have done that we need to continue to do, and I hope we can get some common ground on. I expect to have the debate for a long time with respect to we're not going to get common the second ground. Amendment. I don't I just it's, don't think it's going to happen because you can here's get common the thing. ground on funding, but like even in um even in Pennsylvania after uh, the Parkland shooting, they allocated a bunch of money over to um increase safety me measures and security cameras and things of that nature. But and a whole bunch of money was spent on yoga classes out of that money. Well, I mean, that, that's just traditional government waste. What I mean right. by, by we're not going to get common ground, I'm not, I'm, I'm not even talking about like, like funding. I'm talking about like there will never be common ground because one side thinks the other side has blood on their hands and they will not accept anything other than banning firearms. This is why in the gun community, at the risk of potentially alienating a few people, the NRA is losing credibility fast. Because for so long, gun owners have felt like the NRA, something happens, and then the NRA says, well, let, let's talk and let's negotiate. Capitulate. And then whatever the agreement is, it's always conservatives or gun owners are the ones that lose things and get nothing in return. It's always been chipping away at that constitutional well, right. But but when and, and I and I get all of that. And I get all of that. But I, I think that like when I see something like this happen, the, the visceral reaction that comes from the left, and sometimes this is our own fault is that all you care about is your gun rights. And it's like, have you ever bothered to ask why I care about gun rights? They don't, because they honestly believe this is like a hobby. It's a fetish. That's what they think. Instead of understanding that this is not about wanting a, a cool piece of machinery. Yes, it might be fun to shoot. Yes, it might be nice to go hunting with. That's not what this is about. For the vast, vast majority of this, this is truly about the idea that to tell a person, to tell a free human being 
You are not permitted to have the basic tools to be able to provide for your own protection or the protection of your family. You're not permitted. We will take it from you, and you will rely on us for your protection. That is morally reprehensible to us because we have seen throughout history what happens when people are forced into those situations. And the dirty little secret about all of this is what legislation actually does versus what we are told it does. And as I attempted to articulate before, when you make it more difficult for everyone to have a firearm, the hope is it will somehow deter, dissuade, or prevent a bat, someone with evil intentions from being able to get that firearm and be able to do damage with it. That's what you hope will happen. What you did, the actual, the guaranteed effect, the guaranteed effect is you will have dissuaded and prevented millions of people that had no evil intention and might have desperately needed it for the situation that they're in. That's what you're guaranteed to do. And the bad guys still manage to get the guns well, and, every and, time. And when I, there's when always I look, a black market. When I look at that and I say, wait a sec, this is what you're asking me to choose between. You're not asking me to choose between you know, being able to have all these firearms or greater public safety. You're not asking me to choose between those two things. I know you want me to think that's what you're doing, but you're not. You're simply talking about an enforcement mechanism where you can, you, you can limit everybody else's access in the hopes that it will do something good. But then when, when we suggest something like we're going to add, when we, when we say something like we're going to add armed security at our schools, there is no question that acts as a deterrent. Mm -hmm. Now, will it, will it work every single time? You can't guarantee that anything will work every single time. But will it act as a deterrent? Well, let me see. Do they think it will? Will, will, it, will it act as something that could potentially be used to address the issue in an effective way. Let's ask, let's ask the other side if they think it will. We know they do. How do we know they do? Who do they call when this happens? Every single time. They don't call Rob Reiner. They don't call a, a sociologist. They don't call a social worker. They want somebody skilled with a firearm to show up and stop the bad guy. Every single time. And when we say, great, put the guy there in the first place, well, the solution isn't more guns in schools. Well, it isn't until it is, is it? This is why I said at the beginning of this exchange that we're not going to find common ground because we're approaching this from two totally different perspectives. And increasingly on our side, we're not interested in, in talking and having a negotiation with a side that accuses us of being bloodthirsty monsters. We're just not like for, for, for 20 something years since Columbine conservatives, gun owners, Republicans, whatever you want to call them have been called the most despicable names. The stuff on Twitter is what you're seeing now in the age of social media, but this has existed since the nineties and this existed in the two thousands. This existed after Virginia tech. It existed after um, Sandy hook and increasingly Gun owners are like, we're, we're just not going to talk. We're not going to, there will be no negotiations. 
There will be no compromises. There'll be no discussions. And if anybody on the right even even wants to to open a dialogue with the left, we will primary them and vote them out of office because we know that every single time that they do that, they have weak knees and they cave and they end up chipping away at the Second Amendment. The reason that that has happened is because the left has approached this discussion not from a perspective of finding actual compromises. What can we agree on? Maybe we should put police officers in schools. No, instead, the the left approaches this from a perspective of you are going to give us what we want and you are going to sit there and take it or else we're going to call you terrible human beings. And they do this on more than just guns. They do this on everything. And that is why you have this chasm. It's not that that people on the right don't think that there's things that can be done. I know the most ardent defenders of the second amendment, the, the no compromise crowd that want things, tangible things to be done that you just mentioned about putting resource officers in schools, putting armed security in schools to stop these things from happening. The left is not interested in that because I don't think that, that the left is actually interested in finding solutions. I think the left is interested in pushing a policy position that they've already predetermined is what's going to stop the problem. And I'm sorry, we're not going to agree because I'm, I'm, I will never, ever support a politician that votes to take away my right to own a firearm, ever, under no circumstances. And anybody that wants to negotiate with the left in order to find some compromise where I, I, I hand over part of my firearms or some of my firearms, no, I'm never going to vote for them either. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sorry, we're just, we are not going to agree. Joe Biden thinks, why can't we just all do what needs to be done? You know, we all, you know, we all know what needs to be done. No, we don't. We don't agree. We, 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 we are not approaching this from the same perspective. What he thinks needs to be done is the exact polar opposite of what I think needs to be done. No, the, the only, what we agree on is what shouldn't happen. That's what we agree that's the, on. And, and that's, the, that's what we agree That's on. where it ends, too. Yeah. We, 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 I, I'd like to think that the average person, and I know the average person thinks this should not happen and the agreement, the, the compromise or the, the common ground ends at that point. And it's actually quite sad that it ends at that point, but you know what? You're seeing this in everything. Guns is the most emotionally charged for obvious reasons. Shootings are the most emotionally charged for obvious reasons, but you see this in economics. You see this in education you see this in spending. You see this in monetary policy. I can go down the whole list. And I think that increasingly we're getting to a point where conservatives want somebody who's just going to stand up and basically tell the left, go F yourself. Because they've constantly been told over and over again that they're terrible human beings. And the politicians that they've been electing to represent them and defend them have just been taking it for years and, and and if they're not taking it, they're they're sitting down with the left and they're trying to to hand the left, you know, wins and policy points. And conservatives have just been subjected to this verbal abuse for so long. And they have no they feel like they have no champions that are standing up for themselves. And I, I think so many of them are just completely done with the stuff that you're seeing on Twitter that they're they're getting really upset. And it's it's leading to a bigger chasm in terms of of the the widening divide in this country between the left and the right, and that is a whole other discussion for another day. But I I don't know what to do at this point because I what what can I do when I'm trying to negotiate with somebody who thinks I'm a terrible person if I don't well and and well, when you when you when you frame the negotiation as I'm the good guy 
who wants to do something good. And I have to compromise with you who are the bad guy who don't want to do something good. Yes. You know, it, it, it makes it easy for them to just treat like anything that you do as well. You know, we, we could have done more if this person wasn't here. Yes. And, and, you know, remember right before your gun speech that you gave, um, in 2018, remember what happened like two or three days before, maybe it was a day before it was a few days before, um, in the public safety committee, you had a delegate who came up yeah, and he had a bill to like heavily restrict outlaw in many cases, certain types of ARs. And he made his argument and his argument was, if I recall, and you can correct me where I'm wrong, was basically, if you don't vote for this bill, you are a white supremacist, segregationist what, what he, Nazi. Well, no, what he said was specifically, um, what he said was, if you don't vote for this, you are on the side of the criminals. You are on the side of terrorists. And what I responded with is, you know, it's, it's a little bit, as someone that has actually gone overseas and physically fought terrorists, lost friends to the fighting of terrorists, it's a little bit difficult to hear this sort of argument coming from a radio personality who's really invested no, it, it, has experienced no physical danger to himself in order to combat terrorism, telling me that if I don't support his particular approach to this, I'm on the side of terrorists. Um, That's what I mean by we don't yeah. agree and we can't negotiate. But, but it's frustrating that there are a whole host of other things we could be talking about in order to fortify schools. If you talk to the FBI and uh, top law enforcement in Texas is already coming out saying we need to fortify schools, we need resource officers in schools. And uh, you're talking to people who who have gone through extensive training into the mind of a criminal. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that is all is well known is that a criminal intent on, on carrying something out looks for a soft target. Mm -hmm. They want a soft target. And I don't understand why um, the left seems to be so intent on keeping everybody in the realm of being a soft target. I mean, one of one of my big issues as a woman and why I personally um, will fight tooth and nail for my Second Amendment rights is because I I can take care of my own safety. I can go anywhere and feel comfortable with the fact that I can, I can go through a situation, I can defend myself against a stronger attacker, a bigger attacker, or multiple attackers. And the idea that we're going to delegate our security off to a police force that is about, what, what did Christian say? Um, you said, uh, when, when seconds count, the police are minutes away. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's true. By the time they get there, the damage is already done half the time, most of the time. And so, I, I do feel that we need to get we need to start focusing on the fact that these schools are soft targets. It's one of the reasons why he probably chose this school. I mean, they talked about him being um, bullied, um, but that doesn't follow to me because okay, you were bullied in high school but you went and you targeted children like in elementary school. That doesn't make sense. And Christian said it's because it's a soft target. He wanted to do the most damage he could. And 
as sick to my stomach as that makes me. I have to. I mean, I feel just that gut-wrenching feeling. But that's an invitation to thought. And the thought that gets comes to my mind is we need to harden our schools. We need to fortify our schools. Why are we not listening to law enforcement? Law enforcement isn't asking for this. Most of it. Um, politicians are because they're looking for their, their big donations and their next election. But if you really want to do something tangible to fix this problem, we need to start fortifying our schools. We need to secure this. Why was an 18-year-old man, and I'm tired of 18-year-olds be, being called kids. They're not. He was an adult, and he waltzed right into a school. How was he able to waltz into a school like this? And those are the questions we need to ask. And, and when Parkland went to try to fortify their school, they didn't, they didn't do all these fortification things. They added a few cameras and yoga classes. So one does have to ask, if you really want to do something about this, why aren't we doing what can be done? Why aren't we? And it's, it's not about the tool the person uses. If they want to do damage, they are going to do damage. If that's at their heart, it doesn't matter what tool they use. They will, they will use whatever tool they have available to them to do so, or they will go and acquire it some illegal way. So why can't we do what needs to be truly done, and that's to fortify our schools, put resource officers in there, and also dig in deeper into why, why, why are schools turning out kids who are, are doing this? What, what's fundamentally wrong here? I think those are all good questions. Nick, I think you've done a pretty good job already of helping us, you know, arming us to help make this argument. I hope you'll summarize this for us real quick. Sure. So when we're making the argument with respect to an incident that's happened, something like a school shooting, the first thing that we have to understand is that emotional reaction that everyone has is not only to be expected, it's appropriate. This is horrific. It is evil, and people should have a visceral gut reaction to it. But that reaction is also an invitation to thought if we're serious about really trying to understand why something happened and how do we prevent it from happening. Now, a lot of people on the left have already come out and said what they believe the proposed solution should be. It is stricter gun control. And there's a whole myriad of various options that they want. Some of them would have done absolutely nothing to prevent the sort of crime that we're actually seeing. And we know that because of the organizations, because of the cities, because of the states that have those laws, and it hasn't prevented these things from taking place. We have others that have come out and just been more honest to say that they just simply want to ban guns, and they believe that that will be the solution. Here's the first thing you need to understand, and I especially want people, if you're on the left listening to this, here's what I want you to understand. We find this every bit as horrific, and we also want to deal with it. We find the solutions, the so-called solutions that the left often comes up with to this, we find them to be confusing because we don't think that they will work. It is not because we have some crazy gun fetish that suggests to us that our ability to own a particular firearm is more important than anything else. That's not it. In fact, if you really dig in deep and you want to understand why we have this commitment to be, being able to own a firearm, it is rooted in the idea that each individual has an inherent right to be able to defend themselves and should be able to have access to the tools in order to do so. 
and that is not just born out of some sort of deep philosophical commitment. It is born out of a careful understanding and reading, not only of, of history, but of what's currently going on in the world. And it wasn't that long ago in the United States where people were denied access to the means to be able to defend themselves because it was their own government that wanted to come in and oppress them or hurt them or deprive them of life, liberty, and property. And so it needs to be understood that there is negative consequences with respect to this so-called solution. And that's why you get the pushback from us. It's not out of a love for guns. It is out of a, a, a deep abiding commitment to each individual not being denied by their government the means to be able to protect themselves. Because you cannot always commit. You cannot always rely upon the government to do so. Either due to the fact that it just simply doesn't have the resources or due to the fact that sometimes the government is the one trying to oppress you. So what do we want to do? And what I wish we could get some common ground on. Obviously, schools have become a target for certain people, which means we have to make sure that our schools are protected. You cannot tell me every time that we recommend more school resource officers you cannot tell me that, well, more officers in schools are not the answer when every time there's a shooting, the first thing everybody does is call for more officers. Let's have those officers on site, and let's make sure that anyone that would attempt or even think about perpetuating such an atrocity on a school knows that there will be someone there on site, not 10 minutes away, not 15 minutes away, there on site to prevent them from doing so. Let's dedicate the resources necessary in order to make sure that our schools can be safer. There's a lot of areas that we don't agree on, but I do not understand why that one is so difficult. I recognize that none of us, none of us want to have to live in a world where this is the sort of thing that we have to take into consideration, but it is. And when you're telling me that the only solution that you really have to offer is by passing more gun control, which will not prevent this. What it will do, what we'll actually do, is just make it simply harder for everyone to be able to get a firearm. And what you're hoping is that that will deter somebody that intends to do something bad from doing this. Now, I understand why you might hope that that is the outcome. But the guaranteed outcome is that you will simply make it more difficult for people that have no intention of doing anything wrong and, quite frankly, might desperately need a firearm to be able to provide for their own safety. It's that woman that's been the victim of domestic violence. It's that person that lives in a dangerous neighborhood that needs to be able to provide for their safety. That is the person that will guaranteed be adversely affected by this. And you just hope that every, the, the people that have ill intent will be affected. But it is very clear, not simply by the numbers, but by everyone's response when something like this happens, it is painfully clear that everyone believes that if we had more school resource officers, our schools actually would be safer. So let's do that. Let's address the mental health issues that we all know that we need to address. Let's make sure that when we actually have somebody that is engaging in potentially violent behavior or showing signs that they might be engaging in violent behavior, that we get the resources available to them in order to address that, but that we also keep a record of it. Because it is frustrating when we have situations like this and we've been told that it can't be reported to the police because that will only increase the school-to-prison pipeline. So let's get the resources to our law enforcement, to our mental health professionals, to do things that we all acknowledge will help. The other thing that we have to, the other thing that we absolutely have to address here, I don't know how else we do it, 
Part of the problem that we have in all these discussions when something tragic like this happens is that the question exclusively becomes, what has the government done or not done and what should it be doing? And that's an important question, but it can't be the only one. We all acknowledge this didn't used to happen in the United States, and it wasn't because there were fewer guns. It wasn't because there was less access to firearms. Something has changed. Something has changed with respect to our philosophy as a nation, as a society. Something has changed with respect to the family structure and breakdown. And if we're not willing to address that and the negative effects it has, then I do get to come back and wonder if we're really serious about this or if we're just trying to content ourselves that with the right law, this all goes away. It's going to take more than that, and we have to be committed to it from a legal standpoint, from a community-based standpoint, from a family-based standpoint. I think that's the only way that we actually get to a situation where we can really do something substantive to prevent something like this from ever happening again. But if we're, if we're going to try to, if we're going to try to pretend that we're just one simple law away or one simple ban away from preventing this kind of evil from demonstrating itself again, I think we're fooling ourselves. And I think it would be an act of utter incompetence and a disservice to our kids. Okay, I, I know this is a, um, I, I kind of want to end with, with this. Um, to, to the families that have experienced this, to the officers that were involved, I can't even imagine. Um, I know what it's like to, to lose people to violence, but to lose a child to this kind of violence is, I imagine, one of the worst things that anybody could ever endure. And so please understand when we say that we are praying for you, it, it's, we mean this. By the same token, we also understand that there's obligations that go beyond prayer from a legal standpoint, and from a community-based standpoint. And we're dedicated to that as well. And we're dedicated to doing all of this in order to continue to protect our kids while at the same time we protect what it means to be a free person and to be able to provide for your own security and to hold the government accountable when it doesn't provide for our kids' security in the very schools that they require you to attend. I want to thank you for joining us for this episode. Please leave us your comments. Leave us your feedback. Um, this is going to be a discussion that goes on for quite some time, and it's certainly going to be something that we address in the next legislative session here in Virginia. Thank you. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.